Hello and welcome to Plastics News Radio. This episode is one of nine we recorded on location from the negotiations for a global plastics treaty in Paris. I'm Steve Tolikin, your host and a journalist at Plastics News. To step back a second, this treaty could have a big impact on how we make and use plastics. Over the next 18 months, diplomats from more than 150 countries will be meeting to try to come to an agreement. In Paris, I talked with both industry and environmental groups about what they want. In this episode, we hear from Kate Bailey, the Chief Policy Officer for the Association of Plastic Recyclers in the U.S. She sees a global treaty as a huge opportunity to turn around struggling recycling markets. We're here with Kate Bailey. Uh, Kate's the Chief Policy Officer for the Association of Plastic Recyclers. Uh, APR represents private sector companies that recycle plastic in North America. She joined APR last year after serving as policy director for EcoCycle, a well-known nonprofit material recovery facility in Boulder, Colorado. Kate, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Bonjour, Steve. <laughs> um, to get things started, could you briefly tell us a little bit about APR and why APR has come to the treaty talks? Yes, the Association of Plastics Recyclers is a US-based international trade association the only trade association focused exclusively on plastics recycling and growing the plastics recycling industry. Our members are primarily, our, our full members are the recycling businesses themselves, those companies that are buying the collected bottles, milk jugs, yogurt tubs, washing them, flaking them, grinding them, and making them into new products. So really the backbone of the, the US plastics recycling industry and we represent the entire plastics recycling supply chain as well. So much of our work is focused in the US in driving recycling solutions forward, both in terms of infrastructure, packaging design standards, as well as recycling policies. And we're just seeing this critical nexus of, of the work being amplified both at the national level in the US, seeing unprecedented levels of interests from the Congress as well as EPA and other federal agencies and as a huge extension of that now the State Department and the UN Global Treaty. So really seeing this as sort of a um, way to amplify the work that we're doing in the US and looking at the opportunities to bring our technical expertise, our business expertise to the treaty, both to help move things forward in the US and North America and also to share what we know as lessons learned for the rest of the world. I mean, clearly recycling is, is a key topic here um, among the, I guess, 170 countries and, and uh, diplomats from those countries, uh, 1,500 observers like yourself participating. Um, are there particular priorities or goals uh, that APR has in, the, in this, the meetings this week that you've been in? APR has long held the position that good recycling starts with good design. And so one of our flagship programs is the Design for Plastics Recycling, Recycle, Design Guide for Plastics Recyclability, the APR Design Guide, which works with companies to make sure that their products are compatible with the recycling system in terms of how they're designed. Um, so really emphasizing that the role of companies in, in making sure that their products can be recycled. And so design is a, a foremost principle for us. We are also focused on increasing collection. In the US in, in particular, we lag behind in terms of the amount of recycled plastics we are collecting. 
Our members today could recycle 50% more bottles if we had access to them using existing infrastructure. We have plants that are not running at 100% capacity. So collection is key for us. We're particularly emphasizing the extended producer responsibility discussion and policies that are part of the treaty as well as in U.S. states. So I would say design and collection have been two of our primary messages. Okay, great. Um, let me ask just kind of an overarching question. Um, how do you see a treaty like this affecting both the companies that are your members and that me as a, as a reasonably regular person can recycle in my community? Uh, will this treaty have impacts on those things? Absolutely. So. In the time that I've been here, and the time that the treaties come to you know, the first INC and, and the adoption of the, the UN objectives to even establish a treaty, the message is abundantly clear that the world is coming together to end plastic pollution. That is a message that has been repeated this week that the goal is not to reduce plastic pollution, the goal is to end plastic pollution. There's global consensus around that. And one of the things that I've really taken away from this event is that there is a tremendous network of very intelligent, very passionate people with solutions moving forward. And the political process may be a little slow at times, um, as we've seen this week, but the world is moving forward toward this goal. And so I think in terms of the company perspective, what we will see is we will see uh, more policies at every level, state, national, global, um, increasing recycling supply, improving recycle quality. You're seeing talk about how to improve recycling markets. I also think that this will help underscore the need to invest in plastics recycling solutions. We know there's a lot of capital investment interested in scaling up plastics recycling. So I think this treaty really underscores that this is a global priority. We also see a lot of consumer goods companies here championing recycling as part of the solution through the Business Coalition for a Global Treaty and folks like that. All of that will trickle down to us as residents because there is a lot of collective frustration that recycling is not accessible to everyone and is confusing and products are mislabeled. and. So I think that we will really continue to see, as we are seeing unfold in the U.S., just this upwelling of momentum to improve recycling to really make it more practical and, and work better at scale. Okay, let's drill into just, a f let me just present a few numbers right now. Um, you know, the U.S., uh, we recycle about 30% of our PET soda and water bottles, um, and in some ways that's the superstar of our uh, uh, of our you know, consumer recycling system, but Europe recycles 60% of its PET bottles, and the difference really probably gets down to bottle bills and recycling infrastructure. Um, you know, the U.S. plastic packaging recycling rate overall is about 13%. You, know, you talked about some of the challenges we've got in the U.S. Um, you and I both were at an event in March uh, where one of the lead negotiators uh, for this from the State Department uh, spoke and said that the recycling situation in the U.S. is abysmal. Um, is it abysmal and you see the treaty is helping with that? I would say that the U.S. recycling system is abysmal in some places and it is working incredibly well in some places and really the challenge we have in the U.S. is building that consistency and access 
in infrastructure and education throughout the country. So we have states like Oregon with a very strong bottle bill, recycling 80%, possibly more of their PET bottles. We know other states are five, ten percent. I mean, the, the difference between states is tremendous. And so one of the, the key messages, I think, for the U.S. is we know how to do better and we know that recycling can scale and it can scale relatively quickly based on, on proven solutions. And that's where we are really strongly supporting producer responsibility, legislation, bottle deposits, as well as minimum recycled content standards. That's the three big steps forward to really help scale U.S. recycling and make it more convenient and accessible for all residents. Okay, um, so we're sitting here on day five of uh, what is supposed to be a five-day uh, negotiating session, barring something unusual, will end today, but it's been, it's been a, a kind of a chaotic situation. Um, could you talk just a little bit about what your day-to-day -day experience has been and kind of the things you've learned? You've been here all week, obviously, right? Yes, in fact, I came in early last, or mid last week. I spoke at a U.S. State Department and U.S. Embassy event on Friday to help kick off the event called Galvanizing Plastic Pollution. That was a very inspiring session. It was attended by the UNEP, um, the head of UNEP. Oh, Inger Anderson, the executive yes. director? Okay. Uh, the Norway, uh, the representative from Norway, who's head of the High Ambition Coalition. Okay. So a number of very high-level delegates, members, um, Undersecretary Fernandez spoke about the importance of the U.S. moving forward, um, both as the biggest one of the biggest producers and one of the biggest wasters of plastic. Um, so it was it was really inspiring event to see the U.S. talk about our, our need to have a strong position coming out of this treaty. Um, there have been a number of other uh, events before the treaty as well. The World Wildlife Fund had a, a very inspiring talk later that afternoon in conjunction with the Business Coalition for a Global Treaty. So lots of events leading up. For sure. Um, and then the day-to-day -day has been definitely a mix of meeting with fellow groups, attending the plenary, part of it, understanding the process. I think you can relate, Steve, that if you've never been to one of these before, it is a little bit of a, um, a black hole of you know, how exactly things happen in the contact groups and the plenary and, and the different countries. But for sure, um, it is fascinating to watch the global progress and the conversations in the hallways with different groups working on solutions are just as critical as the meeting content and there's been some great events in the evening hosted by different groups again part of the solution we're all here talking about solutions as a comprehensive suite of tools so uh, I'd say it's been a little bit of a mix of everything, and no one's going to complain about the beautiful weather we've had <laughs> in Paris here either. No doubt, no doubt. Let me ask kind of a two-part question getting into some of these uh, details being discussed. Um, one, I wanted to ask you about uh, what are being referred to as problematic or unnecessary plastics. You hear that term a lot in the discussions. There's a push to have the treaty have a process to develop uh, lists of problematic or unnecessary plastics, and one of the uh, definitions of that is materials that are difficult to recycle economically and at scale. So I'm curious if uh, you think the treaty will lead to things like that. And then a second question um, concerns uh, you know chemical recycling or advanced recycling. Um, 
that's also a topic that seems to be being discussed, maybe not at the highest levels yet, but it's being discussed in, in uh, the, the individual meetings people are having. So if you could, what, you know, do you see the treaty, uh, what role do you see the treaty having around chemical recycling? So two parts there. Great, so let's start with the problematic plastics. I feel like this is a big debate in the U.S. as well, and definitely a key part of the message from the treaty negotiations has been that a main goal is to eliminate some plastic uses um, overall, not just problematic plastics, but you know, microplastics. They've talked about the microbeads in personal care products. Elimination is a core element followed by circulating or recycling the plastics that we do use and then mitigation cleaning up um, what is already in the environment. So in terms of problematic plastics, APR is a member of the U.S. Plastics Pact and we support their list of problematic plastics. What I think does not get enough attention coming out of the pact is the criteria that they use to choose those problematic plastics because really that term um, is dynamic and things are going to change over time as, as we learn more about how we can scale recycling, we learn about the concerns about additives in recycling. Um, so we support that criteria. It was developed by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, so it's been part of their work as well. I've heard several calls for intersessional work, meaning between INC2 and INC3, for a lot of work to really define what problematic means. I think that a lot will come from that Ellen MacArthur Foundation work. And that's somewhere I think APR and our design guide can play a role in the technical, it'll probably end up as a technical annex to the document. And, and APR, um, just to <coughs> define a term you used a minute ago, um, INC2 and INC3. We're at INC2, the international, the, the negotiating committee, second session. Number three will be in Kenya in about six months. Will APR be part of the intersessional discussions? Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. so we have been working with the State Department, USDA, many other federal agencies, as well as partners, um, part of the stakeholder calls. And so I expect a lot of that work will continue between now and, and November. Okay, and then on chemical recycling, what kind of discussions are, having, are you having, or what, what is being discussed regards chemical recycling in the treaty? So a few things I wanna highlight about chemical recycling. First, that UNEP put out a great report uh, turning off the tap, I believe it was called, right before the event. And as part of that, they put out a specific paper that looked at chemical recycling. And I actually would hi highly recommend everything that UNEP put out. But, it, but in general, I thought it was a very strong paper, um, just really practical look at where chemical recycling has the potential to improve recycling and produce recycled polymers, particularly for um, multi-layers, flexible films, things like that, while also highlighting the concerns about economic viability and the safety and health concerns as well. So I felt like it was a really balanced paper and I've heard similar remarks from a lot of folks on that. So um, UNEP is definitely considering it as part of the process. There have been a couple discussions that UN also put out what's called an elements paper, which is all of the potential action steps that they're considering in the treaty. One of those action steps was talking about what they called quote unquote dangerous technologies. And that included things like open burning, 
um, cement kilns, incinerators, and chemical recycling was in there. And so we heard yesterday during that discussion a lot of countries saying chemical recycling does not belong in that group, that more work needs to be done to define what a dangerous technology is. We heard a lot from developing countries that sometimes they don't have alternatives and that can't just be a black or white. Um, but overwhelmingly, we definitely heard that folks saying that chemical recycling does not belong in that same um, grouping. And so I think that the treaty is still looking at at where that goes and, and also doing a lot of work around things like the Pew Breaking the Wave report, which showed you know chemical recycling will play a role, as will mechanical recycling. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for kind of taking us inside the room a little bit there. Um, you know, the we have time, I guess, for one last question. So. Um, you know, the treaty has gotten off to a bit of a rocky start this week. Um, there were procedural delays, procedural fights. Um, some of the NGOs uh, here were saying that these procedural fights were kind of a proxy for this issue of virgin resin production caps, which is very con contentious. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you about, do you see areas of consensus or agreement forming in the week that you've been here? Because we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about the, the differences. Uh, but do you see areas forming where the treaty, do you see areas of agreement forming in the treaty discussions? Absolutely. I mean, let's just step back. You have, I think, 150 countries, 140 countries. I've lost track of how many yeah. are here, but um, almost every country in the world has come to Paris for a week, as well as over 1,500 delegates around this central goal of ending plastic pollution. So I, I come back to just at the very high level, that level of global consensus is just incredible in my mind. It was really kind of a watershed moment. And so I think that, yes, there is a lot of debate over the actual elements of things, and that's how policy always unfolds. But the fact that we agree at the 30,000 foot level of how we're moving forward um, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how, and those are the great details to argue about. Um, there's been some great leadership from the Business Coalition for a Global Treaty, um, really laying out the strong business case for why we should have a strong standard and, and really wanting the same guidelines country to country. Um, there's been some great messaging from NGOs on the importance of bringing in the health aspects of things. So, so that's another takeaway to me is that this is really not just about plastics in the environment, but the impact of plastics on health is a really strong message coming out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much seems like it's becoming a, a health treaty as well, as you said. So, well, on that note, that seems like a, a good place to end the podcast. Uh, Kate, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, great to see you here in Paris, Steve. We'll talk more. This has been a Plastics News production. For more on the Global Plastics Treaty and other stories on plastics public policy matters, visit us at plasticsnews.com. And thanks for listening.